So we, we talk about member engagement as a spectrum and it's anywhere from the passive member to the passionate member. We're going to, we're going to provide opportunities across that scale, passive to passionate. But the reality is we're going to put the most resources in that middle to end somewhat engaged through passionately engaged member, because that's the one who's going to stick in this business when the market turns. That's the person who is buying into our community and willing to walk that two-way street with us. And frankly, that's the person that's committed to the industry uh, as a livelihood and as a career, not just a hobby. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Join us as we get the stories of the leaders in the real estate industry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 227 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. And today I'm headed off into the association world once again. I really love talking to CEOs of either local, state, you know, and one day I'm sure hopefully a national uh, real estate organizations because they, they're so connected to what's going on in a lot of different aspects of the business. On this episode, we're going to talk to Emily Chenevere. She's the CEO of the Austin Board of Realtors. Had the chance to see her present in Vegas last summer at Inman. She was an MC and a host on stage at Inman Connect in New York just recently. They're doing some really cool stuff in Austin. Very tech-savvy things. The podcasts they're doing, lots of video. Really, even the way they identify and connect with their members, I think, is really cool. So um, let's get this thing started. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. I've, I've had the chance to see you at Inman now a couple of times, more than once. And I, and I really want to talk about that uh, a little bit later in the episode. But my first question is, because you're, you're right in the heart of Texas in Austin, uh, really cool hip place. We're going to talk about that too. But are you a native of Texas? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm born and raised in Dallas. I went to UT and then never came home again, much to my father's chagrin. Uh, but I met a Cajun boy that I liked and we <laughs> we stayed and got married here. I did live in Dallas again for a period of time when I worked for the state association um, in a field position. But but yeah, I'm, I'm Texas through and through. Yeah. So, you know, Texas, everything's big in Texas. Yeah. We've all heard those stories and things. But give me for people, there's got to be, you meet people all around the country. Mm-hmm. What's What's the biggest misconception about a Texan? Or, or Texas in general? Yeah, I mean, there are still those people that think that we ride cattle down the street, which is inaccurate, uh, especially in Austin, Texas, because it's so techy and just modern. The hair is probably bigger. <laughs> so there's a truth statement there. And I was, I'm not a natural blonde, so that's happening also. But, um, you know, I think generally people think that it's not as sophisticated uh, a place, like that the big cities are not as big city as, as Manhattan or LA or whatever. Um, but it is. It's really it's a, a really booming economy. The state's done a great job of keeping the tax burden low for businesses. And we continue to be the, the place that people fly to when they feel like they're getting priced out of their markets. Yeah. You know, I, I'm with Fidelity National Title and we have a you know massive operations in Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, the commercial side of the business there is incredible, right? I mean, yeah. Houston and Dallas just growing and growing. Yeah. Yeah. Austin yeah. nets 240 people a day is how fast we're growing. So, and we're, we're not well equipped for it in the sense that we haven't planned the infrastructure for that, but we're going to be right up there with Houston and Dallas and really faster than we know. So I always like to go back a little bit in time with guests and, and so far only six out of over 200 have known they were going to be in the world of real estate at a younger age. Mm -hmm. So let's just start with, we'll say 15 year old Emily, you're in high school. 
Are you thinking about real estate at all? Absolutely not. <laughs> no way to so, perform. <laughs> right. What, so what were you thinking about? Um, you know, I think I thought I'd be an attorney and I took one constitutional development class in undergrad and was like, forget that this is not for me. Uh, I like to say that I play an attorney on TV, <laughs> given some of the, the circumstances that we've managed here at the association. But I guess I thought that I would be successful if that's what a 15-year-old thinks. But I did not know that I would be in the, involved in the world of real estate. Right. You talk about an attorney. Now, I know there's there's in-house counsel and counsel with the board. Mm-hmm. So you probably have lunch with an attorney regularly. Wait. I'm just thinking. And, unfortunately, we've been talking to them more than I'd like of late. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just part of the game, especially with MLSs. There, it's such a litigious world right now that we're in with the MLS. So they're, you know, we're, we're learning and I'm learning a lot. And they're definitely a big part of our world and they're part of our team. Yeah, exactly. Um, you said UT. We got to talk Longhorns for a second, right? I love yeah. talking college sports. And uh, so first of all, was was in from in Dallas, did you know you were going to UT? Yeah, so I, I wanted to go to CU Boulder, and it cost three times as much. Mm. So, so my sweet father talked me off the ledge, and Austin was definitely next. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Good. And so then the tough question: I'm trying to think. I don't remember this very well, but your time frame was kind of early 2000s, right? While you were at in, in university, yeah. Did Did Texas get a win over Oklahoma while you were there? We had one win, and I'm trying to remember if it was my junior or senior year, but we had one. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's yeah. that's better than some some undergrads go through their whole time, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a true statement. Um, yeah, OU still sucks, even at 9, 11 a.m. on a Monday. And, nice. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it, Longhorn football, there's nothing that beats it. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think of Vince Young. I think of that USC, the national championship. I mean, that had to be just... Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a marker of our, of our time in college. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about what you do right out of school then. So what was your first job? Because you weren't, you know, you didn't know real estate was going to be there, but was that where you ended up? Yeah. So I have kind of a funny story. I, I started first at the association at the Austin board of realtors because my father's boss, her husband was Rich Thomas, who was the AE and CEO in Dallas at the Metro Texas Association of Realtors. So when I graduated, I needed to find a job. And they reached out to David Foster, who was the CEO here at the time and said, do you have any positions? And he had a line position that I started in. Um, And I only did that for like eight months before I moved on to a master plan community developer that we interacted with at the association. But, but yeah, I've, I've literally worked for associations almost my entire career. Yeah. Talk about that little stint with the builder. How did that, how did that play Yeah. Out? Yeah. So I worked for the developer of a, a big master plan communities, um, which was sort of new in Austin at the time. There weren't that many that were fully planned like we see in Florida and California and even Houston. So uh, they were building two communities at the time. They've gone on to build three more. And I worked with them up until the very end of 2008, which you might remember was a rough year in real estate. Yeah. They started closing down whole offices in uh, in areas like Florida and California. And I was like, peace out. I can't do this anymore. Right. Um, but yeah. also, I'd, I'd had a degree in government and really wanted to work in politics. That was my intent when I left um, the when I left college. The tides politically had shifted at that time. And so the position that I was going to work for for a congressman was no longer available. And that's how, how I fell into the association at that time. Okay. Let's let's talk about the uh, the roles you've played in the association world. You mentioned you started off at ABOR, but yeah. then you worked for the state. Right. So what were some of the um, positions you held? And, you know, as you, because I'm thinking at, at, 
as the CEO now, yeah. all of those were these building blocks to get you where you are now. Yeah. My first, like my first real and, and tenured position with the association was in the government affairs department. And, yeah. um, and that was great. It was a match made in heaven because I knew and had worked with the realtors at the developer. And so I really understood them as a people and really liked them. I was attracted to the way that they operate, but it married with my love for politics. I have, my family has a a strong political background. So that came naturally to me. And what happened is the government affairs director at the time left on military leave about a month into my stint. So I was in the department alone at a time that the biggest issue the association had faced in a decade cropped. And so I was by myself managing through a pretty aggressive issue, which turned out to be the best thing that could have ever happened to me. How old are you here? Um, 23. And married. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. I I can't even imagine. I can remember the city of Austin mayor yelling at me. Uh, at, the t- at the time saying, you're just a juvenile. <laughs> and I turned back and said, I'm running another $100,000 in ads until you fix this. <laughs> and it was... Wow. It, it took a little a little moxie to make it work. Yeah, I like that. So then um, what, what drew you over to work for the state association? So the government affairs director that had been on military leave came back and I wasn't as keen on being managed by him as I was at being not managed okay. <laughs> quite candidly. And so I went to work for the state association in a field position in their government affairs department, which meant I got to do what I was doing at my association, but for like 15 different associations throughout North Texas. Gotcha. And I really liked the pace of being able to serve all those different markets, all those different municipalities an association of every size and getting that kind of state association perspective. Well, you're, you're now um, the youngest CEO that ABOR's ever had. Mm-hmm. You're also the first female CEO yeah. of the Austin Board of Realtors. Congratulations on, yeah, <laughs> congratulations on, just a bit yeah. on both of those. Thank you. Um, let's, let's talk about the path that led to that. Cause sure. it, we're, are you a couple of years into it now? Am I about right yeah. now on the timeline? Yeah, I'm two years in. So, so basically I came back to ABOR from the state as a government affairs director. I came to, work under someone who was willing to expand my role first into communications. And then uh, I became the chief operating officer of the association. And then our association hit rock bottom. (laughs) We Mm. had a really bad 2017. We had lawsuits and ugliness that you can go read about it in then. I believe I did during it while it was happening. Everybody to everybody reads it (laughs) when it's (laughs) happening. And I stood to to really be harmed by that in the sense that I was the number two at a time that there was a lot of really bad stuff happening. But I steered my ship right. I had done right by our members and ultimately landed in the position of interim CEO. And so I went on what I call my longest ever job interview, which was six weeks as interim CEO, while the board initially intended to launch a national search and then later decided that I was the person that they wanted and they named me the CEO. I've interviewed um, a handful of CEOs of associations at the state and local level, yeah. and I always like to talk about this because you you are you're with a not a, not a nonprofit but a not for profit, right? Is that what the yeah. association yeah. considered? Well, yeah, I mean, and I run both the MLS and the association, and okay. often we wholly own it. So the okay. so the MLS is a little different, but yeah, right. So you you answer to a, an executive board and a and or executive committee and a board of directors that are made up of volunteers yep. who are elected either um, annually or maybe twice or every two years. And that's who was, that's who was responsible for kind of you keeping your job. Yeah, doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> 17 people get to decide my future. That, so let's, I mean. <laughs> you know, we put uh, contracts in place to help with that. But, 
But yeah, I mean, I, I would be lying if I said that my background in politics does not benefit me in this position now. It's one of right. the reasons that you see a lot of former government affairs directors become AEs and CEOs, although many of them do it without that operational stint first. And I'm really lucky to have had that exposure right. to the way that we are organized in strategic thinking. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to manage that many personalities. In Austin, there's not an executive committee, so I very literally have 17 bosses. But, you know, if you stay in lockstep with your leadership and you are candid when you're not in lockstep and fill it and try to fill your gaps, then you can stay where you are and be really successful. And that's what we've done. Your ability to um, handle different personalities, different people uh, has probably grown exponentially in just two years. But you had that you had that coming in. Yeah. Which, which is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I, I had worked with realtors for so long. I had a sense of what I was coming into. Now, when you directly report to them, it's different. And then when you're also responsible for 52 people's careers and, and their livelihood, there's a different yeah. level of pressure in the sense that I am the one employee of that board. But what happens with me impacts them. And so, you know, you're constantly thinking about which way you're being tugged. Yeah, I think that's important to point out that you're responsible for the rest of the staff. You're in charge of hiring and deciding, you know, who's going to be where and wh- what role it's going to be filled. Right. Um, and obviously with input, maybe from some of your leaders, some of your, some of your volunteer leaders. Talk about the importance of uh, volunteerism in the world of real estate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reality is we are built on their vision and their work and blood, sweat and tears. And so there are times that, that, that they can be frustrating and there are times that I frustrate them. But at the end of the day, we're a team, you know, they've got a vision that they want to see come real for this organization. And I can put the tactics and the people in place to make that happen, but it wouldn't be happening if not first for their vision and their commitment to what this organization can be. And so we work in tandem. Let's talk about something more fun. Let's talk about Austin. So I have to make a, a be very honest here. I have never been to Austin. What? San Antonio, Bill. Houston, Dallas, um, El Paso. I've, I just haven't, you know. You've not been to been. Texas until you've been to Austin. I know. So tell me what I'm missing. I, look, all I, I South by Southwest, I know I'm missing that. Yeah. Tell me some more about, about your town. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, quirky is the best way to describe it. You know, the slogan, keep Austin weird is totally an accurate portrayal of, of the, the nuance in it. It was small for a really long time and still wants to be small, but it's not, it's, it's getting bigger every day. Um, definitely the tech environment here that's grown over the last really decade is starting to change the, the culture a little bit and certainly changing the economic environment. But it's just a good place. It's got the best of, you know, of what a, of what a city offers, but it's alongside such a beautiful natural environment. You know, the river yeah. runs right through the middle of it and the hill country is not that far. And so it's everything from, you know, line dancing at the Broken Spoke to, <laughs> to uh, tech ventures and, and all kinds of things. It's, it's awesome. I love that. I love how passionate are you about your hometown now. That's yeah. great. Um, talk about how tightly uh, the association works with local government. You have a lot of independent contractors yeah. <laughs> that, that uh, have some power. That's a better way. Yeah. We're the largest yeah. professional trade association in the city. Uh, with 14,000 people that build this community every single day. And we don't let the city council forget that. But I will say we're the blueberry in a red state. And so there's some political dynamics with that. 
Um, and also, we're just a, it, Austin is a very independently minded community. And so our city council pushes the limits on what is acceptable in our business and acceptable in terms of private property rights. And we are constantly working in advocacy. So who is your government affairs person now? Is that someone you're able to bring in and yeah. you know, kind of... Yeah, bless yeah. her heart. It's hard to work for a former GAD as a GAD, but she's doing it. <laughs> her name is Amy Everhart. She uh, has, knows nothing of the association world originally. She came from the mayor's office. And so because I knew the association so well, I wanted somebody that knew the politics and the people really well. And that's what Amy does. And she's learning the association. She's doing great. So you, you handpicked her to bring yeah. her in for the role. I, recru- so I haven't cool. recruited her. It was hard work. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the uh, some of the initiatives the board's doing. And I know you're a big force behind a lot of these. Of course, I'm going to start with my favorite. That's the podcast, Scratch yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. First of all, give me give me the the uh, create the origin story of the title because I dig the title. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, I have to give kudos to Tracy Weir with August Partners. She was the one that thought of it. I said, you know, I want to... She she's actually the one that said, I think you should do a podcast. And I was like, well, that's like a dream, but that sounds very hard. <laughs> she said, no, if anybody could talk fast and do the things, it's you. And I think it would be really fun. And it has turned out to be super fun. But I basically, I told her I wanted to talk about real estate in a way that wasn't just in the headlines and on the surface. And she said, you want to scratch the surface and, you know, dig a little deeper. And I was like, yes, it's exactly what I want to do. And she said, well, you want to scratch that. So that's where we landed. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So, so talk about what the vision was when you first started, because you, you kind of, sometimes there, there's not a guest every show, right? There's a guest every show. Is there a guest? Okay. I sometimes one episode that was in-house staff and me. Oh, okay. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so you t- talk about, uh, what the vision was initially. Obviously, it's it's going to be very local. I think it's got to be driven towards what's happening in Austin, even though there is a national perspective as well. Right? Yeah, it, well, it's so interesting. My intent was really to provide this resource for our members and to say, you know, look, we we I travel in Inman and, and NAR meetings and T3 and all that good stuff. And I've got exposure to these big national trends um, that, that many of my members are never going to get because they can't travel like that and they're not going to. And so I wanted to kind of bring that conversation back home to them. But what's interesting is only a quarter of my audience is in Austin and only half is in Texas. Um, And it's listened across 14 different countries globally. And so it's really grown into this different kind of audience, which I now have to be mindful of, but still serve my members. So it's been kind of an interesting evolution. But what I like to do is talk to people that I like and talk about things that I that I think are really interesting. And sometimes that means we talk to, you know, a doctor out of Boston that believes that housing is as important to health outcomes as a vaccine is. And then sometimes we talk to the CEO of Redfin because, you know, that's clearly <laughs> got an impact on the business. Um, he kind of does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's really varied. And I'm trying to just keep it fresh like that. What else, what else is the association um, looking towards or, or you, you know, it, yeah. on the tech side of things or communication? Are you thinking about like, a, you know, we got flash briefings now with Alexa mm-hmm. or there's also video. So talk about you know, what else you're doing. Yeah, we do a ton of video. We have an in-house mm-hmm. videographer, which we're really lucky to be able to um, have that resource. But he's just really taking us to the next level in terms of telling our members story. 
You know, we mm-hmm. did this interesting thing at the end of last year. We had four new emeritus um, members, one of whom is Joe Williams, the Williams of Keller Williams, wow. and, uh, and several other really titans in our market. And so he did these beautiful kind of vignettes about their history and their involvement in the marketplace and what it was like then versus now. And it was just a great way to tell the story of people who have been around a long time and have had a real impact on Austin and yeah. Um So we're doing stuff like that, but really more than anything, we're turning association on its head in the sense that um, most associations spend all day telling you what they can do for you. And that's good. You know, you should have an awareness of what the benefit of being a member of the association is. But we have this expectation for our members that they also take advantage of those things. And so we talk about membership like a two-way street in the sense that you've got to be willing to be a part of our community and then we'll serve you up all day long. But if you're not willing to be a part of the community, you're not going to be served well here. Well, I'm sure that 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 topic comes up at every single AE meeting you attend uh, nationally, right? Because it's, it is, you know, we have this, you have this weird, um, well, I can say, speak honestly, there's a weird membership at a board, right? There are some people that are heavily involved. It's their career and this is, you know, everything to them. Right. But you're also, you have a large population of people who it's, it's not so much a career as, I don't want to call it a hobby, but it's a secondary or tertiary kind of a thing. Yeah. You're not. So how are yeah, how do you get them involved? What what are you how are you doing that? Well, first you agree that you're not going to get them all all involved. So okay. we we talk about member engagement as a spectrum, and it's anywhere from the passive member to the passionate member. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna provide opportunities across that scale, passive to passionate. But the reality is, we're gonna put the most resources in that middle to end. You know somewhat engaged through passionately engaged member, because that's the one who's going to stick in this business when the market turns. That's the person who is buying into our community and willing to walk that two-way street with us. And frankly, that's the person that's committed to the industry uh, as a livelihood and as a career, not just a hobby. And so, you know, we've got things for the passively engaged member, but we're probably not serving them as well as we're serving the passionate one. And that's okay, because we've got a rationale behind how that's going to work for us long term. You know, I really want to talk about Inman with you. I know that uh, you're heavily involved with Inman now. I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I saw you, seen you at a couple of different events. I love Inman. I love the ability to get face to face with people, connect with people. Um, you know, lobby con is kind of an overused term there, but it's so cool, right? To, Accurate. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really what happens where all those conversations happen. Uh, so talk talk about the importance of Inman for you. How you got involved? Uh, yeah. Well, I've, I've gone to Inman for several years, even before I was CEO, but I think I found, I really understood it. My, my first New York Inman as an interim CEO, when I could sit in that lobby, meet with every single one of our vendors, meet with all of my biggest counterparts so that, you know, I could start to network and create friendships and colleagues at this level um, and meet people like you nonstop for three days, you know? <laughs> And that was, you know, as much as the curriculum or the content on the stage was good, that was worth the trip alone because I could just knock out all of those relationships in a really meaningful way really quickly. So there's the efficiency of just who's in the room that that is most powerful about MM from my perspective. Yeah. Um, and then there's the content and the curriculum. And you're right when you say it's polarizing. You know, not everybody appreciates the the 
TMZ-esque nature of the headlines that they run occasionally. But the reality is they're getting people on stage that we all need to hear from and that we all need to understand. They are telling a narrative. And as long as you take that with context and a grain of salt, it can be powerful for you to understand that narrative. Um, and then think about what it means for your marketplace back home. Right. So, so I think of it just as another platform, another opportunity to connect with agents that I don't see. I see Austin agents there that I never see at home. Wow, um, that's great. You know, and it's, that's interesting. I should see yeah. them at home more. But, yeah. but, and they think of me differently when they see me there versus at home. Yeah. And so it's, we've found it to be important for us just as an organization. And I have found it to be important in terms of it really giving me an opportunity to have a platform and a voice that I wouldn't have in the industry if I only focused on NAR. Let's talk about um, your role with him. And you've now, yeah. you've now, uh, you moderated on, uh, I want to say you were the MC on Tuesday, correct? This year? Yeah. Or Wednesday. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Also, yeah. On Wednesday. Furious four hours. <laughs> yeah. How was that? It was, um, it was, it was kind of a shit show, if I'm being honest. <laughs> That's a good, I want you to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it was great. I mean, it's super fun, but it's just really stressful because it's there are so many transitions in the yeah. show. Yeah. And so I wanted to get it right. And I really had not practiced and I was worried about it, but I think it went okay. Yeah. I thought like, it's great. It's, it's the weirdest thing sitting in the audience watching, you know, you walk off stage and walk back on stage four seconds later. <laughs> And, and, you know, I'm a girl and vain enough. So I'm like, am I walking weird? What am I wearing? You know, there's all the things. But, um, but no, I mean, it was truly an honor to do it. And it was fun, fun, fun to get to introduce Brad and offer a quip right after his opening statement. Because that's yeah. all the highlight of the conference. So I, I was really appreciative of doing it. Yeah, it's cool. Well, I know they're going to have you back. You did such a good job. So Thanks. that's great. Uh, the, I think the first time I saw you on Inman Stage, is this when you talked about your youngest son? Last summer, yeah. So can do you mind do you mind if we share that story? No. Oh but, yeah, everybody knows it. You're good. Okay. Yeah, like two weeks before the Vegas Inman, I guess Brad had someone fall out and he needed to fill a slot. And um David Sharon suggested that he picked me. I I owe him several beers for that. But <laughs> <laughs> um and so Brad said, Well, what do you want to talk about? And I said, I have this idea. I want to talk in parallel about something that happened in my life. Uh, and, and a rock bottom there and then a recovery um, and then talk about that in parallel with the rock bottom that the Austin Ward Realtors experienced and kind of what the takeaways are from that. And so the story I told was about my youngest son. I have two boys, eight and five, and my little one, um, Barrett, who we call Bear, was known to be in kidney failure in utero. And so I lived six weeks in the hospital with him while he was cooking to the point that he would be big enough to have interventions that he might need when he was born. And he was born and moved to the children's hospital. And at three days old, he had a dialysis catheter placed. Mm. And so he lived on dialysis until three weeks before his second birthday when he had a kidney transplant that was given to him by a live unrelated donor. Yeah. Can I, can I ask how old the, the donor is? Yeah, they're adults. Yeah. So so wow. a kidney transplant happens with an adult kidney, although she's young. She's like my age. She's our age. Okay. Um, and so, yeah. And so they just go in a little bit of a different spot in the body than if you were having a kidney transplant as an adult. Wow. But yeah, for a while, it was crazy. You could tell where it was. You could feel it. <laughs> Super weird. But, now, but not now. 
No, now it's all tucked in there. Yeah. Happy. <laughs> so that that was a very powerful uh, uh, presentation. I'm sure Brad noticed. Took yeah. took took note of that, and so yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was um, very moving, and and really, and to know that you did it, you know, that quick and put it together that fast. That's uh, yeah. Well, it had to be the, I couldn't have thought about it another day. I would have exploded. But <laughs> the stress leading up to that was uh, intense. But I really was thankful to be able to share that story. You know, I and I'm passionate about my son's experience as a as a mechanism of just talking about resilience. And so I, I really was really valued the opportunity to share that with my industry family. Um, and it really, there really is a parallel to things that we experience in business. And so I've seen that in my life and to be able to give that gift to others was really, really powerful for me too. Do you want to share some of the, I know you have a couple of the charities that you like to work with that were yeah. a big part of Barrett's, you know, life. Uh, yeah. So you want to shout out for those right now? Yeah. Yeah. So make a wish is always a good one. Yeah. Even, even when little sick kids come from families that have the means to um, provide for their kiddo, they create experiences that you cannot create for your, for yourself. And so they created an experience for bear that was really special at Disney world. Also, the National Kidney Foundation provides resources for both pediatric and adult uh, kidney patients, those that are in failure and even those that are just living with kidney disease. And I think everybody ought to get a urinalysis every year, not just your blood works, so that you can be sure your kidneys work. Awesome. Because awesome. they do a lot of things. Emily, I've had you here the half hour I asked, and I know you've, you've actually got a, a, a little fun event coming up at your, uh, your board this afternoon as we're recording this. So I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked every guest uh, since Jay Thompson back in episode one, and that's, if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started, what would it be? Um, I would tell them to get involved in their association, which is you know not ironic given my position. But the truth is, if you want to build really fast friendships and relationships in this market, if you want to know what resources are available at your fingertips and have the best education you can get as you launch your career, that's the place to do it. Yeah. If someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So uh, social media, I'm big on Instagram at EM Chenevere. And then also you can always email me Chenevere at abor.com. Cool. We'll put all those links in the show notes. So everybody will be able to find you really easy. Okay. Emily, thank you so much. It was really an honor to talk to you today. And okay. I love what you're doing and uh, keep up the fantastic work in Austin. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com slash RE Sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to therealestatesessions.com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released. New episodes of the Real Estate Sessions podcast are released every Tuesday.